Computer, initialize Holosuite. Star Trek books. They've been around for decades. Join us, the Trek ladies, Kavora and Jen, as we discuss the novels one at a time. Welcome to the Ladies Trek Library. So we are back with Ladies Trek Library, and I'm Kavora, and I'm here with Jen. Hi, Jen. Hi, Kavora, and hi, everyone. Um, great to be back. Okay, so our book this time is Home is the Hunter by Dana Kramer Rolls. And um, I'll just read what's on the back cover. A dispute over a planet and its primitive people leads Captain Kirk and a Klingon commander to pit their ships against each other in battle. But the fight is stopped by a mysterious and powerful alien named Waylon who decides to punish three Enterprise crew members with their own history. He places Sulu in federal ju- in feudal Japan during the period's most important and bloody power struggle, Scotty in 18th century Scotland on the eve of revolt, and Chekhov in World War II Russia. Now the three time travelers must face overwhelming dangers as they are pulled by conflicting forces, their allegiance to their homelands, their duty to the Federation they serve, and the demands of history. Okay, so... So that's the book, and so this one I, I thought would be very interesting because it goes into – it has uh, separate stories on Scotty, Sulu, and Chekhov, and because it has a lot of Earth's past in this story, plus another story going on uh, with Kirk in the 23rd century. Um, so, so, Jen, what did you feel about the, like, the focus of these three lesser-used characters and the use of Earth's history in this story? Well, I always like when the lesser used characters are used. So um, it's always neat to see more background about them that we don't, you know, especially in the original series that you didn't get to see a lot about. Um, so I was glad to see those stories. And um, I also enjoy when stories um, do something a little different. So in this case, we had three stories going into three different timelines. Um, Scotty was in Scotland in 17. 17- 46, um, Sulu was in Japan in 1600, and um, Chekhov was in the uh, Soviet Union in 1942. Um, so that was interesting for me, too, since I'm also a, a bit of a history buff. So I enjoyed that. I thought it was great, too. It made for a good story, um, or, you know, all of the stories in the book. And not just that, that all of them went back in time, like they each went to different countries, but also it was a different time period, too, because they could have gone to to these different countries in, at the same time period. And it and it still could have been separate stories because, you know, that long ago, like if it was 1600s, well, they probably wouldn't have crossed paths if they were in different countries. So but it is neat that they put them in different time periods, too. Uh, and and when I look these up, I mean, well, of course we know about World War II, but but the the stories uh, that Sulu and Scotty were involved in, those were actually th- things that did happen in the past, even though people might not know as much about them. But since you're, you're a history buff, so were were you familiar with these stories? Well, I um, I knew a little bit about the uh, Scotty in 1746 with um, Bonnie Prince Charlie. I knew about that uh, 
because I actually had taken a, a history class recently that covered that um, just a few months ago. Oh, interesting. Um, not, not in great detail, but enough that I was familiar about it where I probably wouldn't have remembered. Like, I'm sure I learned it in high school, but, you know, that was a long time ago. Um, Sulu in Japan, um, 1600, you know, that's not a time period that I really have studied in depth. Um, so I did, and I actually looked up some of the the names that um, were mentioned because they were talking about he was at this Fumashimi castle, and they mentioned some different um, characters that Sulu encountered who were samurai and um, some, you know, lords. And I, I Googled them because I was interested in, you know, and they were all actually real people that were well-known. So anyone, I guess, who's familiar with um, Japanese history probably would have recognized those names. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I thought that was cool. Yeah, after I read the book, I looked up these characters and found out that, I mean, yeah, yes, these were actually real uh, people who actually lived. So, and that that was neat that uh, that the author used those. Um, and so, so all of these characters, it seemed like that. Did you notice how, like Chekhov, he knew he knew. Um, well, he remembered meeting Captain. Well, of course, he, like he knew his time in the 23rd century, and and he met someone that was one of Kirk's ancestors, John C. Kirk. I mean that was nice. They just had to, you know, throw that in a little, a little reference there. So he met, you know, his captain's ancestor. Um, and and Sulu knew. Let's see, I think they said Sulu remembered um, Captain Sulu, Kirk, right? Uh, yeah. So Sulu went. The, and I, now I should have written it down because I don't remember the character, the name, the warlord that he ended up working for in 1600 Japan was a. Samurai that Sulu was familiar with. So, and, and I know yes. this was a real person. So, um, yeah, that was interesting. Um, but he didn't actually meet anyone like from, you know, Scotty met, I mean, um, Chekhov met Kirk's ancestor, but neither Scotty nor Sulu met anyone um, connected to the Enterprise in their past. Yes. So, so the thing is, Sulu and Chekhov both, I mean, they, they know that they that they're from the 23rd century, but Scotty in the story like like he lost his memory. He he didn't remember like who he was or anything about the Enterprise. I mean it's just interesting that he he didn't know, but Silo and Chekhov did know. Yeah, there were some scenes in there where it was like Scotty started to forget about uh, where he came from and stuff, and that was a little odd because they didn't exactly explain why. Um, he was beginning to forget where he came from, but that did not happen with Sulu or Chekhov. So I did wonder about that. Yeah, well, well, there are actually several things about the book that weren't explained too. Even though the, you know, the book was it was a great idea and it did tell a good story, I think. But um, I mean, yeah, like like how come these three were sent back in time, but no one from the Klingon ship, you know, was sent back in time? Yes. And what would the, where would it be interesting to have seen like a pre you know a historical Klingon uh, context? What would that have looked like? You know. Yeah, I mean that would have been good. That would have, I think that would have made even more people interested. But then of course it would have kind of it would have been more for the book, and the book already had four separate stories because it had the 23rd century plus the three in the past. But but yeah, but that is just it's just something you have to think about. Okay, no no Klingon in the past, and um. Yeah, and I will say that. Oh, go ahead. 
Well, and I was going to say the fact that that Scotty was the one, like, okay, because he couldn't remember, he was the one that had visions, right? He, oh, and and I think they kind of saw him as a fortune teller because he kind of knew some things that would happen, even though he didn't know why he knew those things. But also he he saw something that he thought was maybe a fairy, and it was a, you know, he saw some image, and then he saw a, something that he thought was his mother. And then he saw someone in a Starfleet uniform, but he didn't know what that was at the time. I mean, those little things which didn't happen to, to Chekhov and Sulu. Yes, and there was that one scene that you mentioned where Scotty is uh, walking outside and he comes across this abandoned house and he meets this man who turns out to be like a magical guy who knows his name and you know, and then he drinks from his beer and then he falls asleep and he wakes up and the guy's gone. Kind of like a oh, yeah. <laughs> Van Winkle story. But yeah, they don't ever explain that because at first when I was reading that, I thought, oh, this guy is really Wayland because he knew Scotty's name. And, uh, oh. but, but then they didn't ever explain that, that it was Wayland. So it was never explained this. The only thing that I can think of is that, um, you know, in, it's interesting too because in in the story that follows Scotty, you know he he meets up with a, a kid named Seamus and some um, Scottish Highland rebels, and um, they use some Gaelic terms. And I've actually started studying Irish uh, last year. Well, I guess now it's last year, but uh, about ten months ago. And um, and you know Irish and and Scottish Gaelic are very closely related. So he refers to the English as the Sassanox, and that's the same word as in, in Irish Gaelic for English. So I, I actually could understand some of these little Scottish words that they had. Um, and I'm kind of knowing a bit about Irish history and, and Scotland is similar. You know, the thing, uh, fairies play a large um, part of that. Um, so, you know, there's all these kind of Irish and Celtic mythological stories about um, you know, encountering a fairy fort and what will happen if somebody disturbs a fairy fort and, and these and very similar stories where, you know, the person goes and meets a fairy in the house and then falls asleep and they wake up and the fairy's gone. And so I think maybe part of that was just kind of going along with the Scottish mythology, um, even though they never really did explain it. So, so that, that, that does fit then, yeah. So, so that's probably what, yeah, they put that, that part in Scotty's story because it is a part of, of Irish history. That, that is interesting. Because I, you know, and I did have that thought, like, I wonder if that's something that's common for those, for, for those type of stories that involve Scotland and Ireland. And, and I do believe, I, I read that the, the writer of this book has a degree in history. So, and, the, and that's the reason I think that she wanted to write this because she, she could put this in perspective in a Star Trek setting, which was, which was cool. But one thing I have to say that, that she, I mean, that, that stood out for me was in Sulu's story. He, he slept with the, um, with the lady that he rescued and, and she was married. So that seemed a little, you know, like, uh, not like Sulu, not like a Star Trek character. Well, she wasn't technically married, I don't think. She was the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Concubine or something? Yeah, she, she, well, was she was pregnant. Concubine. Yeah, but she, yeah, that was a little weird. She was pregnant. She was the concubine of the samurai that he served. I don't think he was technically married to her because he had, you know, all these women who were his concubines, and she was one of many. But, yeah, she did belong to another man. Um, and, you know, do you see Sulu kind of, trying to make that this 
you know, he's in love with this woman, but at the same time, you know, he's serving her, her, the, the man who's, you know, the father of her child, and he kind of has this ethical dilemma, but in the end, he ends up <laughs> looking up with yeah. her anyway. So. I mean, he, yeah, he ended up with her, but then we also find out that she, I mean, she's not who, who, who the other man thought she was either, but. Yeah, but that just seemed a little a little odd to me. But okay. <laughs> yeah, that that was a little odd. And I guess the it's talking about the three because there's four timelines. I mean, we got the story in Scotland, Japan, um, Soviet Union, and then there's just the the frame story taking place on the Enterprise and the Klingon ship in in the present day. Um, but the uh, story, um, I think the one for me. The, the one in that took place in the Soviet Union, that was the one that I actually had the hardest time with. Um, you know, so, okay, Chekhov is, you know, transported to 1942 Soviet Union during the Battle of the of Stalingrad, which was a long siege. And, okay, I mean, that's believable. But um, he somehow comes into contact with um, Kirk's ancestor, who's American, but yet is in, um, you know, Chekhov ends up in, in a prison. Um, the Germans, you know, have captured him and he's in a prison. And, but yet Kirk's in there and he's an American, but yet he speaks Russian and he knows all this Russian stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, what? he was brilliant like Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So what's this American doing? Because the Americans didn't ever go into Russia during World War II. I mean, the, you know, that was the Soviets fighting on the Eastern Front. The Americans were, you know, and, France and, and Western Europe. So how did this American guy end up, you know, at the Battle of Stalingrad? And he also speaks Russian fluently, and he's got, you know, he's working with the Russians, and it was kind of like very far-fetched to me. I kind of was like, well, maybe they didn't really need to include this character in there. They kind of mm-hmm. that was there for fan service, maybe. But um, yeah, but, yeah, I kind of yeah, yeah, I, I um. I, I think that was also the weakest story, the one in Russia, and I and I just kind of thought maybe it's because it's um it's it's a little closer to us in the time period. It was 1942, so it, that one is more fresh on our minds, and so it's yeah, so it's not as as interesting because we've read it all before in the history books, and eh, maybe maybe that's why. But yeah, I thought that was the least interesting story. Yeah, I agree, and you're right. Maybe part of that is that we've we're all probably pretty familiar with World War II and, um, you know, less familiar with the other time frames. Um, so you could kind of believe a lot of fantasy stuff happening in 1600 Japan or 1746 Scotland, you know, before the modern era. It's easy to kind of fantasize about stuff, whereas you can kind of pick more holes into something that's happened more recently that you know the facts about. So. And yes, and the others did seem more romanticized. Which, yeah, and Suli was the only one who had an actual, you know, a romance in this, and and his was pretty good. But even though I said I had a problem with it, but it was still, but it was, you know, it was entertaining as a romance and everything. Yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting story, and that was probably my favorite of the of the three. Maybe because I just don't know that much about that time period, and you know, I could fantasize this whole. Um, you know, and, and it actually kind of reminded me a lot of it could be like an original series episode. You know, they go back to a, a planet where it's like 1600 Japan and, you know, you have all this, the samurai and the ninjas. And, you know, in reality, it probably wasn't like that at all. But 
it's a nice little fantasy. So. Okay. So, and what did you think about the the other story with um with Kirk and the Klingons and Waylon? Well, you know, Waylon reminded me a lot of the characters, uh, the Organians. Um, exactly. Know, yeah. Yeah, very much like just you know this all-powerful uh, being who is it, it was almost identical, very similar story. Um, and you know, hey, we're gonna make you two, punish you two for for fighting each other. Um, so he didn't interest me that much. Now, there was a story with the Klingons where um, we have the the Klingon commander ends up getting overthrown, and there's a mutiny, and he gets um, sent out into space, but the Enterprise rescues him. Um, and that was a little interesting, um, the whole, that, that scenario. I, I thought that that was a, kind of interesting to read about. I mean, I thought it was a good story with um, with Kirk and with the Klingons. And, and I wasn't expecting that. Like, I thought this book would focus more on the other three stories. But the, the story with uh, Kirk and the Klingons and Wayland on, you know, they were on this planet and um, trying to negotiate with the people on the planet. And the, it was Kragon five, the planet and the people who were sort of like having to choose between the Federation or the Klingons. That's a typical story, but, but the way they hashed it out in the book was really good. And that, that could have been a story in itself too. I mean, I like that it was its own story. Yeah, I agree, and and I liked Klingon stories are not always my favorite. You know, I I actually prefer Romulan and Vulcans are my favorite aliens, and Andorians a little bit. But um, I mean, some people really you know get into Klingons and love everything Klingon, and they're usually not my favorite. But I did enjoy. There was a whole part that just took place on the Klingon ship with, um, you know, one of the Klingon crew members, you know, warning the captain that. There might be a mutiny and then a mutiny happening and and uh, the two of them, you know, getting overthrown. And it actually was actually really well done and I enjoyed those parts. It, it was a very well-developed story with the, with the Klingons. And, the, yeah, and they had their characters and, and the writer spent time developing the, the Klingon commander and the uh, the other person, Kay Brex, and then the, uh, the woman, what was her name, Verada, yes. Yeah. Or, or Vladra. Verada, that's the way I said it. Okay. However you pronounce it. <laughs> and Kral, yeah, Kral, oh, the commander, yeah. and Kbrex, the other guy. And, you know, and they, and there were references to, to things that have happened on the show, like, um, he reads poetry and she throws things at him. I mean, that happened in the book with, with the Klingons and, and the whole thing also was reminiscent of, Errand of Mercy, well, like you said, the Organians, but yeah, but about a this all-powerful being, powerful being that uh, intervenes on this planet where you have these other people that are that are more primitive than the Federation or the Klingons. Well, there was a little bit of a twist from the Organians because, in this case, the people really were primitive. They just had their their god was all-powerful. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't like the people were actually powerful in disguise. They really were primitive. And this right. Q-like being, you know, decided that he liked these people and wanted to take them under his protection. Yes, Waylon was um, like the Organians, but in another way, he was like Q. He did say that he uh, was from a, a continuum, didn't he? So it kind of 
reminded he me said of something you. similar to that. And this book was published. What year was this published? In 1990. So I wonder if. Uh, I mean, you know, Q would have made an appearance in Next Generation by that point. I wonder if, you know, the writer had that in mind. Yeah, yeah, she could have. And part of it reminded me, too, of Spectre of the Gun because you have they're they're replaying the past. Yeah, that was another thing about the the ones that were in the past. They didn't know if if they were allowed to, to change anything like, oh, will this change history if I do something different? Because they were, oh, yeah, this is something I was going to mention. They They were all in situations that they... They they knew they had to die. I mean, it's like, or or were going to die. But it's like, but you know, Sulu and and Chekhov knew this time in past and knew that the characters that they were living out were going to die, or the side that they were on was not going to make it. So they were wondering if it was okay to change history or if they were going to die there. You know, and Scotty kind of knew that too because he remembered. Right, he remembered um, that, the, that, that past. That guy yeah. lost, and so, yeah, he wasn't sure if his, you know. So, so I thought, um, yeah, all of those things did play out well, and having that, that kind of tension in the story. What I thought was interesting about the past, I mean, of course, it is a little bit of a, you know, we've seen it before where people get, you know, powerful feeling teaches the lesser powerful people to learn their lesson. But what was interesting was, you know, here we, we've all seen evidence in the original series of, you know, where Scotty, Sulu, and Chekhov all sort of romanticize the past of, of their, you know, their heritage. Um, and so here it was kind of like he was showing, you know, Wayland is saying, hey, you, you think your your ancestors' past is romantic? Well, here, let me show you. And, and they get put in these situations where they realize, hey, you know what, living in the past, really, this was not... <laughs> Not really a place yeah. that I want to live because <laughs> there were some bad things happening, um, you know, especially with Chekhov living in the, you know, Soviet Union, and he's realizing it's funny because you know original series set during the Cold War, and so Chekhov is always talking about all this Russian stuff and how great the Russians are, and then he gets sent back to World War II, and he's KGB, and you you know you're, you're basically living in a you can't ever trust anyone and you know, there's so much surveillance and just not a no freedom. And, and he's kind of like, Oh, this isn't the Russia. I know, you know, this is not what it means to be Russian. And, and, and Scotty and Sulu have that too, because but they're further back in time. But, and I kind of think that Waylon put them in those scenarios, expecting them to fail. Yeah. He like that said he- that at the end, he said, um, you know, he expected them to die. Um, you know, where uh, I guess he didn't expect that they would all show honor. I don't know that I agree that they necessarily all showed honor because they were all kind of in situations where whatever you did, you're kind of, you know, it was, there was no really, it was just bad situations all around. And no matter what you did, you were going to end up in a, not in a good way because of the turbulent times. But yeah, he, I mean, he said that at the end when he brought them back, Oh, I didn't, you know, he wasn't, it wasn't a test. He wasn't putting them, he just assumed he was sending them back and they just end up dying. But they, yeah, but they did come back. So yeah, he, he wasn't expecting that. So they, they all did what they could and still lived through it, which was, you know, pretty good. <laughs> and, and even with, with Kirk and, and Crowell, the Klingon, they were made to work together, which is, I think that's what, well, what Waylon was hoping they would do, I think it's what he he wanted 
in order for, in order to uh, to give power back to their ships, he wanted to see if they would do this, if they would actually start working together. Yes, because he wouldn't. Their ships were both um, the Enterprise and the Klingon ship were both in orbit and in a decaying orbit, and none of their power worked. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't use transporters, um, but they were able to get the shuttlecraft out with Kirk and Crawl, um, and they had to kind of. The doors wouldn't open, and they had to hope against hope that if they're going out in the shuttlecraft, that the doors would open, that Waylon, you know, that he was going to realize they were coming down together. So, yeah, he did force them to work together because if they were in a situation where it looked like their ships were going to eventually, you know, lose orbit and be destroyed if they didn't do something. And, again, it was like, um, well, the end of Errand of Mercy where they just kind of – well, they were forced to make peace with the Klingons, but in this case, it was, you know, like realizing they're in a situation where they have to cooperate. Yeah. Now, the only, and I guess, and also similar to um, the Organians, the only, the only difference is it looks like the whole thing that led them into this scenario was that the Klingons, as when they go down to this planet, you know, the Klingons have been training these people to fight. Um, they're, you know, innocent people. And uh, Whelan gets back and he's not happy about that. And uh, he wants the Klingons and the Federation to leave. And they both go to leave. And one of the Klingons throws a grenade, which um, one of the Federation officers, Garavik, catches. Um, and he dies. And also a young boy from the planet dies. Um, Garavik had been trying to prevent the grenade from getting to him. Um, and Whalen blames both the Federation and the Klingons. Um, and I'm not saying that I'm biased, but it did seem like Whalen was really blaming the Federation when he shouldn't have. I mean, they really didn't have, um, you know, the Klingons are the ones that had come down and were training these people to, to be militaristic. The Federation didn't really do anything. Yes, it's true, the Federation and the Klingons don't get along, but that really was completely the Klingons' fault. Uh, but Whalen didn't really care. He just kind of blamed the both. And since you mentioned Garrick, uh, yeah, I, I do like that they had Garavik in in the story. Um, but but yeah, about the so so when that when that um, grenade blew up and it, and it killed a child, and that is what Whalen was punishing them for. I mean, that was what kind of sent him over the edge, like that that um that that the three were sent back to the past. That's what really made Whalen angry enough to do these things. Yeah, so in a way, you know, that's what kind of did remind me of Q because he he's not just all powerful, but he's very, um, you know, he's kind of emotional and he and he just gets ticked off easily and and and, and he's very um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know, now he's not an all powerful benevolent being. He's kind of like a all powerful being where you don't want to get on his wrong side because he's got a temper. Yes. And so what did you think about the, the the structure of the book having these four separate storylines going on? Um, you know, I I liked it. I, I mean, there were times where it was kind of like, because it would, you know, the chapters, it would be four, four or five chapters before you got back to the story. And then you're like, it starts off and you're like, oh, where was I at in the storyline? Because I haven't read it for three or four chapters because it's been focusing on the other characters. Um, so there were a couple times where I had to like go back and, be like, oh, yeah, okay, this is where we're at now with Scotty or Sulu because it's been four chapters since we last saw them, and I don't remember 
the cliffhanger that it left them on. Um, but I did find it. I mean, I liked all the different storylines. Yeah. Um, yeah, I kind of had the same problem. Um, what what I did with my copy, I just I went and put different colors of flags, you know, the little the little sticky flags you can buy. And I put one like one color at, at the beginning of each chapter that had Sulu and a different color for Scotty and a different color for Chekhov. I just went and marked all the chapters like that so that I could go back and just read like one story continuously <laughs> to to be able to to see it better as a whole story because it was all broken up in the book. That's a smart so, so, idea. <laughs> I mean that that helps to to read them better, but it, you know, but but yeah, because it it does kind of get confusing because there's so many stories and even though a lot of the the more modern Star Trek books are like that too, they have a lot of different storylines going on at the same time. But um, other than that, I mean that you know, but. Like I said, I think all the stories did take a lot of time to explain and to develop the characters. And so so I guess you could say it worked. As long as you can just flip back to the different stories, you can you can keep up with it. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it wasn't, you know, a huge problem. Like, I don't think it, you know, made me say, oh, I don't want to recommend the book. I, I mean, some of the storylines were slow to get into, like the Chekhov one. To me, it just took me a while to get into it, so it was kind of like slow going at first. Like, I just couldn't get into it as much as the others. Um, so I didn't, like, love, you know, it wasn't, like, my favorite book. But um, but I don't think the different storylines, like, took away from, you know, in, enjoying it. It wasn't that disjointed. But there is one thing I'll say that... Um, about the Chekhov storyline that made me laugh as I was reading it. Because um, I'm not surprised that you mentioned that the author was a historian, because it was clear that even if they weren't a historian, that they had done um, a lot of research, you know, with very specific details about stuff that you most people probably just would not know off the top mm-hmm. of their head. But there was a scene where Chekhov is in, he gets injured, and, you know, it's 1942, the Soviet Union, and he wakes up, and he sees this nurse standing over him, and she has blonde hair. And he says, oh, Nurse Chapel, Nurse Chapel. And she says, you know, something like, shh, you know, because he can't talk about chapels, you know, because, you know, it's the Soviet Union in there. Religious, <laughs> and then you realize, it's, oh, yeah, I, I didn't mean that. Um, I meant, you know, something else. You can't say the word chapel. And I'm thinking, but you know what? This is taking place in Russian. Like, Russian word chapel is not... If he had just said nurse travel in English, she's not going to know what that means in Russian. Oh, like, okay. Like, people didn't, uh, didn't follow the story, I was like, that didn't really work for me, that that little uh, pun that she was intending, because really the characters would have been talking in Russian. But Okay. Great. Yeah, I don't think I noticed that. <laughs> um, yeah, one other thing in here that I just wanted to say, too, was when – well, there was one time Kirk said to Crawl, I'll see you in hell. And I just thought that was like, um, that uh, was like, well, kind of what he said in Errand of Mercy when he said, go to hell. <laughs> it was, yeah, I thought it was a variation of that, which was a cool pun to throw in. I didn't think about that, but you're right. Yeah. So, um, final thoughts on the book then? Um, yeah, I mean, I would recommend it. As I said, it's, it's not my like favorite Star Trek book. Um, and it, some parts of it were slow going, but I did find the history parts enjoyable. And if you're interested in history, I think, um, you would like the book. 
And it was also nice to get um, some more background on three characters that we don't often, you know, we don't see a lot of, especially on the series. Um, some of the novels have focused on them, but um, I thought that was enjoyable to not have it just Kirk-centric or Spock-centric or McCoy-centric. Right, and this book didn't really have as much of, you know, of Spock and Uhura. It had some of McCoy, but, yeah. But um, I, I, I thought it was a good book, too, and I do recommend it. Um, and like I said, I was surprised at how much the uh, the – the main, what we call the 23rd century story, how much that one was developed. I mean, that, so it was that story plus the other three and all the three historical, you know, storylines in this were, were pretty good. Um, and, and just to say that the cover of this book has Kirk, Scotty and Chekhov. I mean, you know, it seems like it should have had Scotty Sulu. Chekhov and Sulu. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But That's I guess, often the case with these novels. Like a lot of times these novels will have like some character on it. There's another one that I read recently and there's, uh, I'm trying to remember what it was. Um, and there's like a character on the front who's like a minor character. And I was like, why is that person on the cover of the book? They were hardly in it. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know if the illustrator just didn't really like <laughs> have a conversation. Didn't maybe the illustrator didn't read the book or didn't really know. And <laughs> yeah. It seems like that, yeah. If the if the illustrator doesn't read it, it seems like they would. Someone needs to tell him who who should be on the cover. But yeah, and I was wondering for this one if they if they put Kirk on the cover just to because because he's the captain. Maybe he has. Maybe it has to have either him or Spock or something like that. Or he has to be on so many covers. I don't know. But. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, I I just googled an interesting fact. The author of this book, Dana Kramer Rolls, this is the only Star Trek book she's ever written, which would explain why I've never okay. read anything from her before. Okay. Yeah. And I, well, I think, I think I heard that she did write some other sci-fi books, but no other Star Trek. Yeah. And she does seem like, like she's a fan. It seems from the way she handled the characters, I, I would say she is a fan of Star Trek. Yeah. I definitely got the feeling that she was a fan. Um, and knew the characters. The characters were all, you know, um, done just, you know, it was clearly someone who was familiar with the characters. And I'm looking here on Amazon, and it says she has a Ph.D. in folklore and history of religions. Cool. So that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it is a thumbs up for both of us then. Yes. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and join our Facebook group. Live long and may the force be with you. Nanu Nanu. This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer. List other available Sweet Media programs. Loading Sweet Preview Program 4. Her first Trek. A Star Trek review podcast. When Data gets there, she's scantily clad. I mean, that bit of clothing goes low. She must have had a wax job just before. Oh, yeah. It goes about as low as any item of clothing could go without showing your vagina. Mm. Don't you think? Mm. Would you wear anything that low? Is that even a real question? Of course I wouldn't wear anything that low. I was just wondering because I was going to get I pull get all of my stuff up to my belly button. <laughs> no one wants to see that. My uterus would be hanging out. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right, I'll scratch that off the list then. Back to the oh, Princess Leia fantasy.
Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Vedic Assembly, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Uh, because of the expanse, like if you mm-hmm. were if you were trying to portray a, a species like that in Star Trek, you were like, oh, they're just doing the Belthers from the expanse. Yes, well, and actually, they did it better in the expanse than they did in Star Trek. Because they actually hired really, really lanky tall people to play them. Mm-hmm. They can't do practically what the Belters would really look like according to the books, but they mm. did as close as they possibly could, and yeah. it still works for me. And it's a much more interesting origin and story, and they just did everything better. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, Random Trek Review, a Star Trek Review Podcast. Who knows? I mean, what's the worst that happens? They all have a terrible experience and you you learn that, okay, maybe there's nothing we can really do to to get these people to work better. And, you know, you go from there. Or aliens shear off the side of the Delta Flyer and they all die a horrible death in space. I mean, that could happen too. <laughs> Yeah, that's also possible, but then I guess, I mean, you'd have a whole new problem, but that would solve the problem of three underperforming crew members. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.